Um, I want to say thank you to Pastor Bob for letting me horn in on his um, series, which is the Beatitudes. So I had to text him earlier this week and say, is it okay if I just jump right into your whole thing? And of course he said yes. That's awesome. Thank you, Pastor Bob. Um, Many of you may or may not know this, but almost every single sermon that I do has to do with myself. Um, And I'm preaching to myself and talking to myself and edifying myself. And you happen to be just, you know, partakers of that or it overflows into you. So almost always whenever I'm doing a sermon, it's because that's what the Lord's been dealing with inside of me, right? Um, that's just that's just me being vulnerable. That's just the truth. Almost everything that I preach about is something that he is teaching me. So when I'm talking tonight about blessed are the peacemakers, it's because that's what I need to learn how to do, right? And I figure if it's something I need to learn how to do, maybe you guys could get something from that too. Is that fair? So our scripture is Matthew 5, 9. Oh, and I've got a couple more notes left. I'm getting real proud of myself for doing notes, by the way. Wow. Right? Okay, so there's, they're gone. Okay, so our scripture for today is Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If you have a pen, take your pen out and scratch out children of God and put sons of God in there. Because I'm not using the correct translation for my, my deal today. And ladies, I'll explain that later. Don't get your panties in a bunch. It's totally fine. Okay? Um, Many of you know that I, for money, I do a job called mediation, and I also sell real estate. And um, I just want to talk about my mediation practice. Mediation, for those of you that don't know what mediation is, we call it an alternative dispute resolution process. Basically, um, I got into mediation because of my own divorce. I went through mediation six times for my own divorce, which is actually a lot. Now that I'm in mediation, I know that's way too many times to do it. But I did six for my own divorce, and um, it was a little bit successful. But what mediation is, as it compares to our topic of peacekeeping and peacemaking, mediation is actually a form of peacekeeping. Mediation is something that does not involve justice or righteousness. It involves solutions, problem solving, which don't necessarily have anything to do with justice or righteousness. It has to do with keeping the peace. It has to do with with bringing solutions to a situation um, to prevent people from going to court. Because in court, normally you would assume that's where we we receive justice. That's what we think of going to court. We receive justice based on the law of the land or the law that we're, that we're in dispute about. Mediation um, puts the law to the side and says, how do we just bring peace to this particular situation in a way that you guys can live with it? It doesn't bring, necessarily bring restoration to anybody's relationship. It doesn't necessarily fix anything or determine right and wrong. It just brings a solution to the problem. Um, and that's what it's for. That's what mediation is for. It's to help people not have to go to court, mostly, and to save money and do things like that. Um, that's not God's plan for us, just so you know. Mediation is not, in that form is not really God's plan for us. God's plan for us is to have restoration of relationships, is to have um, justice and righteousness played out, not to have a detente or a cold war. Do you remember, who of here remembers the cold war? Does anyone? Except, yeah. Cold war was a, um, a state of political existence between the United States and Russia mostly, right? And it was the idea that we won't bomb you and you won't bomb us, basically. How can we, we'll, we'll scare each other enough to like not really have war. Does that, is that fair to say? And it was the idea that it's a, it's a tentative peace, but it's not real peace, right? 
Real peace didn't happen until later on, but that was what was called the Cold War, and it was a kind of peacekeeping, but it wasn't any kind of peacemaking. Um, People-pleasing is another kind of peacekeeping versus peacemaking. I struggle with people-pleasing. It's a type of uh, fear of man, actually, and almost kind of a type of codependency. One thing I've been learning in Celebrate Recovery, which has, you know, changed my world, is um, a lot of people struggle with this people-pleasing codependency part of their life because they have a fear of man. They have a fear of conflict and a fear of standing up to people that when they're maybe having conflict with a person in their life. And um, again, that's a type of peacekeeping and not peacemaking. And so again, the Lord is dealing with me on how do I become a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, even when it means I have to engage in conflict or even it means I have to risk um, standing up to someone or um, confronting someone or not giving in to what somebody wants, not being influenced to do something a particular way just to make somebody happy when maybe God wants me to do something else. The difference is it's people-pleasing versus God-pleasing. And sometimes you can people-please in a really good way. I mean, you can just be like, you know, I don't care about blah, blah, blah. But if God is telling you to do something else, it's more important to please God than it is to please man even in the little things, right? Because he's trying to teach us that our identity doesn't come from man's approval, but only from his, and we already have it, right? So he's really, the idea of people-pleasing, even when it's little things, is still really important because we need to run it through the filter of what does God want me to do in this situation. And so that's kind of why I want to talk about this because that's what the Lord is doing with me. One of, um, as you guys know, I like to talk about um, the strengths finder and the disc and all that kind of stuff, which is these personality tests and kind of figure out who I am and all that kind of thing. And I have, um, you know, a double whammy. I've got a high I. I in the disc means um, you want to be with people. You want to be fun. Let's just all get along. Let's be influencers. Let's be influenced. Well, the problem with that is sometimes I give away things that I'm not supposed to give away for the sake of the party, if you will, or the sake of the people. The other thing that I have in um, my strengths is the, the, the um, strength of harmony. Harmony can be a fantastic thing because it means you have a value for harmony. It can be a weakness because you, again, give away things for the sake of keeping peace instead of making peace. Sometimes harmony is not possible. Sometimes harmony isn't possible. And when you have a need for harmony, you can be so desperate to have harmony that you do things that God has not called you to do. And so those are my struggles. I'm just being vulnerable and transparent with you. So I'm teaching myself about what it means to be a peacemaker and not a peacekeeper. Is that fair? All right. So I want to just start out. I like going and and just kind of getting the context of what we're talking about here for blessed are the peacemakers. And you're going to find that in a a small passage called the Beatitudes. You're going to find in Matthew. Matthew, as we know, was a Jewish disciple of Jesus. He wrote the first book of the New Testament. And he wrote to the Jews, primarily the Jews, the audience was the Jews, to display, his purpose was to display Jesus as Messiah. Jesus as Messiah, as the coming king of the Jewish nation or the Hebrew Bible. So everything that he writes about in Matthew points to Jesus as having Jewish roots and belonging to the Jewish people, right? So the first part of um, the, the first part of Matthew, we have the genealogy of Jesus, which shows how he is Jewish in nature. Then we have his baptism, where um, John the Baptist baptizes him, and, and God descends on him and says, "This is my son." 
He's identifying who Jesus is. He's actually the son of God. Then we have him going into the desert for temptation, 40 days into the desert, which if you know is a little mini in the wilderness, like the Israelites wandered in the, in the wilderness. Now they got Jesus in the wilderness. So he's making all these parallels, right? <clears throat> he um, preaches, Jesus goes immediately from his ministry, from the temptation into his ministry. The first thing he preaches is repentance. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. So the, the, the thing about Matthew is he's always trying to say, the kingdom of God is here and now. It's here and now. Jesus is the king of this kingdom that's here and now. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's not a political kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah of that. So we have Jesus preaching repentance and saying the kingdom is at hand. He calls his disciples and he immediately starts teaching his disciples on the mount. And the first thing he teaches is Beatitudes. All right? So is that too fast? Do you guys follow me on that? A little brief history. So in the Beatitudes, you've got eight statements, or they call them eight Beatitudes. The first one and the eighth one talk about inheriting the kingdom. They're the bookends of the Beatitudes. And then the everything in between are the characteristics of the people that live in the kingdom. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about, Bob's talked about, what have you talked about, Bob? You've talked about... Yeah, he's, he's laid a good found foundation for us. We're going to talk about number seven, which is blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Let's talk about what um, peace means in the Bible. Isaiah 9, 6 is, is a great picture of this theme of peace that God weaves throughout the whole Bible. Do you know that peace is mentioned 400 times in the Bible? In Isaiah 9, 6, he says, for, us, for, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus came, his primary purpose was to bring peace between us and God and us and each other, to bring peace, a lasting, real peace on earth. But there's two reasons we don't have peace on earth right now, you guys. Opposition of Satan and the disobedience of man. God wants peace, but we, mankind, humanity, and Satan are at war, believe it or not, with God. And peace can happen between two people, but it's always a two-way street. God wants peace, but Satan opposes God, and believe it or not, so does humanity but God's will is for there to be peace on earth. Biblical peace is different than peace that we think about it, which is absence of conflict. Biblical peace is based on justice and righteousness and cannot exist without those two things because God is just and God is righteous. Biblical peace is not peace at any price and it's never sought at the expense of righteousness and it always involves truth. James 3.18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So let's talk about some misconception of being a peacemaker. Peacemaking is not the absence of conflict, the avoidance of strife. We're never instructed to run from conflict. Putting our head in the sand, hoping that conflict will end, only delays the inevitable. How many of you guys have ever experienced that? That your number one strategy is I'll just avoid everything and maybe it'll magically go away. Anyone ever do that? Does that work? 
what usually happens? And it's usually worse, right? Because, and this is my new, new famous and favorite quote, what you permit, you promote. What you permit, you promote. So when we run away from what we're called to confront or, or um, put a stop to, we actually promote that in our lives, for good or for evil. Being a peacemaker is not appeasement of parties. Peace at any price mentality is far from the biblical command. And misconceptions of a peacemaker are not, peacemaking is not accommodation of issues. There are a lot of things in this world that we could accommodate, but they do not bring peace. And we are not called to accommodate issues, especially issues that are not biblical. There are some things that as Christians we have to actually stand up for and be, I don't know, persecuted for reviled for, not liked for. It doesn't mean that we are ugly and hateful and mean. We can always speak the truth in love, but there's still a price to that. We still are not called to be accommodators. Jesus didn't accommodate during his day, you guys. And he, let's just face it, he paid a huge price for peace. He didn't go along with the crowd. He didn't go along with a religious crowd. He didn't go along with a political crowd. He did what God called him to do for the purpose of eternal peace, for the purpose of real peace, but it didn't always bring peace in the moment. Sometimes it brought a lot of strife and conflict and misunderstanding in the moment. I mean, that's a big deal. He was, let's just face it, crucified for it, right? Then it turned out so hot for him, I mean, in that moment. But he knew that the greater price of peace was worth it. So he was willing to do it. And sometimes we have to be willing to say, you know what? This is really painful right now, but I can't accommodate what you're wanting me to do because it's not, in the long run, going to bring real peace. And then here's this really super fun scripture that's fun to look at. Matthew 10, 34 through 36. This is Jesus talking. This is the red-letter Jesus talking. (laughs) Do not suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. What? I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What? What does that mean? That means we're not going to be at peace with everybody. That means that God's definition of peace opposes the world's definition of peace, and we've got to wrap our mind around that, Right? His definition involves righteousness and justice and right standing with God. And there are going to be some people that do not understand that, and we're going to be set against them. That's really hard. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? So peace in the Hebrew, David, I thought of you, shalom, it's the word shalom, it means wholeness, prosperity of body, soul, and spirit. It's the kind of peace that means your whole being is at peace, not just like, oh, I hope you have some emotional peace right now or whatever. I want you to be healthy, whole, financially prosperous, everything. That's what peace means in the Hebrew for shalom. To make in the Greek means to do or to make. It's an an active thing. It's something you're actually doing. A peacemaker is not passive. They're up and they're doing Taken together, a peacemaker is someone who actively pursues peace or pursuing right relationships with one another in every sphere of their life. In fact, the same word for peacemaker in this 
particular scripture is the one that Paul uses in Colossians 1.20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's what Paul said about the word reconcile and peace. It's the same kind of active thing that Jesus did for us. It's an active involvement in this world is being a peacemaker. One of the most... Um, cool things I've heard about in a long time, and I kind of think about this because I'm a mediator, is restorative justice. Have you guys ever heard about that? They, they started it out in South Africa for apartheid. Do you remember that? There were a lot of horrible things that happened in South Africa during the time of apartheid when um, there was terrible racial, um, horrible things that happened. And there were a lot of hatred between different ethnic groups. And they came up with this thing called restorative justice, where they would bring the parties in together in a big room, and they'd have a lot of different stakeholders, not just the, the offender or the victim. They'd have people from the community. They'd have just members of the family. Like eight or nine different stakeholders would come in, and you would sit down, and you'd go through this um, dispute or this conflict and every single person would talk about it how it affected them what they think the solution was and it brought everyone into the solution and it also encouraged this idea of forgiveness and long-lasting um a long-lasting peace that is real not just finding a solution like mediation is do you know what i mean it it, it allowed everyone to speak their peace to come to a place of um reconciliation and repentance, forgiveness, and then to set it aside and move on. That's what restorative justice is. That's the idea of pursuing justice in a real way. Is that my phone? Is that somebody else's phone? Oh, sorry. Um, that's the idea of, <laughs> the idea of, of actually having a plan for justice, not just sweeping it under the rug and hoping people get along, we'll just forget about it being, and, and, um, carrying this need for vengeance and punishment in your heart. Ugh, right? <laughs> I like the idea of restorative justice because there's, there's an acknowledgement of what happened, there's a plan for helping people to be restored, and then there's a leaving it behind and going on. Here's the deal. Peacemaking is messy and wrenching. It takes a lot of emotional energy. It's risky. It involves forgiveness. Sometimes I don't want to forgive. Anybody here not want to forgive sometimes? <laughs> there's, two kinds of, there's two kinds of people I think that struggle with peacemaking. There's people like me who don't want to have conflict, so you'd just rather sweep it under the rug and not look at it. And maybe once you're emotionally past it, you just pretend it never happened. Does anyone do that? There's other kind of people who are um, emotionally, um, what's the word, hotheads. And so they dial up right away. They say, say things they regret, <laughs> say things they regret, and then they cause a division that can't be repaired. So part of being a peacemaker is speaking up when you need to speak up and shutting up when you need to shut up. Holding your tongue, not speaking in anger, pursuing your own healing. Part of being a peacemaker is saying, you know what, I've got a filter maybe from circumstances or from my personality 
or from whatever that doesn't allow me to handle conflict in a positive way or doesn't allow me to bring peace to a situation? How do I pursue my own healing so that I can be a peacemaker? Because remember, being a peacemaker is the characteristic of living in the kingdom. And we're to live in the kingdom. You know, it's one thing we can, I love talking about grace. Grace is fantastic. I, I love, we're all part of the kingdom. We're all part of grace. But there's this, this thing where we've got to grow up, right? We have to grow up and be disciples. We've got to be more than infants our whole life. We have to grow up. And the reality is our destiny and where God's taking us hinges on our maturity. This is part of our maturity. How do we become peacemakers so that we go to the next level and we take everybody with us and we bring restoration and we be people like in South Africa who are bringing people together and putting the past behind them and moving on to the future? How do we partner with God to be these peacemakers if we don't deliberately choose it? And, I don't know, maybe pursue our own healing so that we can do it. No one wants to be weak and broken, but we all are, right? Right? (laughs) here's the thing though sometimes peacemaking is painful and unsuccessful Romans 12 18 this is Paul if possible on your part for your part live at peace with everyone but there's a thing there where he's implying but it's not always possible And for someone like me who has harmony in their strength, that's hard because sometimes I want harmony so bad that when it doesn't happen, it's very painful for me. Another part of, um, this is from Pastor Bob again, he's given me a lot of stuff. Um, Another part of being a peacemaker, or a peacekeeper I should say, is sometimes we want to rescue people from their stuff. Anybody want to be a rescuer? Ugh. You know what? Part of being a peacemaker is we have to stop rescuing people. That's hard too, right? So um, Bob sent me the sent me a, a thing from um, Danny Silk, and he has this. He does this thing called Keep Your Love on. It's an academy, and he tells a story about Paul Young. Remember Paul Young, the author of The Shack? Yeah. All right. So the story about Paul Young is the shack, the the healing that that started when his adultery was revealed to when he actually wrote the book The Shack was an 11-year period. That's a long time. And what happened was he um, was exposed for his adultery. His wife confronted him. He started going to counseling, getting all his healing. In the meantime, he made some bad investment choices, went bankrupt, and lost his house. Um, And as that process was happening, he called up his friends, and he said, friends? I just want you to know, I'm going bankrupt, I'm losing my house. Don't any of you bail me out. This is what the Lord is doing with me right now. He said, don't write me a check, don't bail me out, let it happen. So his friends stood by him as they auctioned off the possessions from his house. And his house went on the auction block. And they stood with him, but they didn't rescue him because he said, this is what God is doing in my life right now. And I just want you to know something, you guys. It took 11 years. I was rereading this. I love the story so much. It took 11 years, but do you realize the impact that Paul Young has had on this world with the shack? You know, I was just, this is just some fun facts. I love it so much. His wife, they didn't have any money to buy Christmas presents the year that they went bankrupt and lost their house. So he wrote the book, The Shack, 
and they produced 15 copies. And that was his Christmas present to his wife and his kids and some of his friends. And, you know, they started handing them out to people, and people wanted them. And so they shopped the manuscript around to the um, publishers, and no one wanted to publish it because it was too, too much Jesus or too risky. That was one of, you know, the secular publisher said it's too Jesus, and the Christian publisher said it's too risky. We can't, we can't take a risk on you. So they decided to self-publish, and they um, produced, a, they had 1,000 pre-sales. And so they self-published, they made 10,000 copies, which they expected to sell in a year, in a year's time. And then that was maybe enough to like do a movie or something like that. In a year's time, they sold 1.1 million copies. What if we had, what if someone had interrupted his healing process? Would that have happened? What if someone had tried to rescue him when God was dealing with him? What if someone, because they were so at unrest in their own heart, tried to impose a peace on him that was not from the Lord? What might have happened? Do you know what I mean? But it's super important that we are led by the Spirit when it comes to our compassion with people. We can be overcome with our compassion, interrupt what God's doing in their life. Bob knows this. Pain can be a positive motivator to change. Misery their miseries become greater than their fear. People only change when they choose to change. The second thing we can do when we want to help people going through pain, be present with a person as they feel their pain. True compassion doesn't always take the pain away. Let the pain motivate them to find the problem. Encourage people to look at the root of their pain. And I like number four a lot. Encourage them to develop a vision on the other side of their pain. That's one, one thing that Celebrate Recovery does is once you've seen what your, your pain is, reach back to your brother and help your brother or sister. It kind of reminds me of the thing with David Waterman. We have been praying a long time for David Waterman, right? We're like, Lord, help this, the, this man to have a vision for his life. And the thing I would always tell Chris, I said, you know what? There are some people who have that drive no matter what they do they're going to work real hard at it but there's other people that need a vision for it right and once david waterman got a vision there was no stopping him i just did my drug test i just did my background test i just got a job I, it was one thing after the other we couldn't even stop him if we wanted to because he had a vision for his own for his destiny right and once people have a vision for what they're called to do there's no stopping them so we need to encourage people to have visions for what they're supposed to be doing. Pain is a great motivator, but vision is a better motivator. And I think about, right? Am I right? <laughs> I think about myself and I'm like, you know what? I've been doing Saturday Night Supper Club for almost two years now because that's my vision. I, I was telling um, Lori Sargent who, um, sh you know, give her a hand clap because she does a lot of work for me. She does the slides, she organizes the food. I said, oh girl. There was, a, there was one Saturday Night Supper Club where I did the food, I did the slides, and I preached the message. Because you know what? I have a vision for Saturday Night Supper Club. And when you have a vision for something, you're all in, right? And so we want to help people that are struggling and in pain to find the vision that God has for their life. That's being a peacemaker, is letting them find the peace with God, the peace with themselves, right? It doesn't always mean rescuing them from their situation. It means demonstrating what does real peace look like. What's eternal peace look like? So number six, what 
what is it when we become peacemakers? Okay, now we can talk about what sons of God mean. So that's not a gender thing for all you ladies. Um, unlike the word children of God, which, which simply means to be part of a family. We can all be children of God. Sons of God means royalty, authority. Um, it's like having the, a brand name, so to speak. Does that make sense? It doesn't have anything in the, in the culture of the New Testament. Being a son was to carry on what was going on in that family, right? You pass things down from father to son, father to son, father to son. So when you talk about being sons of God, peacemakers carry the mission, the DNA, and the authority of their father right? So as we become peacemakers, we have access to all those things. We're more than just children of God. We're more than just saved. We're a son of God because we pursue peace and we're peacemakers. Does that make sense? Peacemakers are those that bring restoration and healing to the world around them. They partner with God to make a better world. Remember, we're always supposed to be partnering with God to bring this world to the next place. Being a peacemaker is one of the ways that we're supposed to do it. I'm just going to finish up with this thing. Hayden Robinson, writer of Salt and Light, says, No peace will exist between nations until peace reigns in each country. No country will have peace until peace dwells within the people. And no people will have peace until they surrender to the Prince of Peace. And here's what I believe, you guys, and, and I know you believe it too. I don't believe that peace comes from our government or from our stinking president or from North Korea, crazy North Korea, or whatever's going on. I don't believe that peace exists except we, the church, is to be the peace and the light of this world. I believe that the local church is the hope for this world, you guys. And I believe it's incumbent on every single one of us to be peacemakers that bring the light to the world. We bring it in our relationships, and we show people what it means to be at peace with God, right? That's the only real peace and the only real hope we have for this world. So I just encourage you to evaluate ways that you've been peacekeepers and not peacemakers, and to challenge yourself in that area and say, how do I become a true peacemaker and not a peacekeeper? Peacekeeper is not what we're called to do, but we're called to bring lasting peace. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this group of people. God, I pray, Lord, that you would mature us and grow us and make us vessels and vehicles for your will on earth, Lord, that we would be peacemakers and not peacekeepers, God, that we'd be peacemakers in all different kinds of ways, just like Mimi said, God, that we'd be led by your spirit to speak or not speak, to help or not help, Lord, that we would speak the truth in love, that we would love our brother. God, I just thank you for who you are and how you're um, continuing to refine us and to grow us, Lord. Have your will and your way in our lives, Lord. Thank you for this delicious food and for the hands that prepared it, God. Just bless your name in Jesus' name, amen. Right.